Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And today, uh, I have a very special treat for you guys. Uh, I have a special guest. Uh, uh, Pete, how are you doing? <laughs> I was wondering if you were going there. I'm doing all right, Carlo. Thanks again for having me on my show. <laughs> oh, and we just ha- we just happened to have a returning guest, Sean Patrick Hazlitt, uh, who, came back, who came back because... Um, unsatisfied with uh predicting world <laughs> weird world war three in his anthology he came up with a fourth volume of these of these war stories how you doing sean i'm doing well carlo it's uh, a pleasure to be back on the show and pete uh it's a pleasure like you know likewise and yeah. uh it's, it's a little talk to you at last <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly there's no more smoke signals between uh you know me and carlo <laughs> to figure out what the oracle uh pete the oracle is saying um but uh in terms of how i'm doing i'm i'm feeling a, it's feeling a little bit surreal uh like the i had this anthology like going back to the the glory days of like world war three with the you know the soviets and uh and and now it looks like uh, <laughs> it looks like it was unfortunately a little bit uh, predictive uh, with what we got going on in uh, Ukraine and, and and Russia right now and kind of the you know kind of the mad Putin doing what the mad Putin does. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, we we definitely got some good timing. Uh, we're right on the verge of it, so let's see, let's see. Um, so uh, and. So talk to us a little bit about the, um, so you, you have had up until now, obviously four volumes. Uh, this fourth one is forthcoming, uh, ha ha forthcoming, um, uh, March 1st. Right. And so, um, tell us a little bit about the, like the mission statement behind your weird world war anthologies. Sure. So it's, it's interesting. You say the fourth, it's actually the second. So, the Uh-oh. first one was weird was weird world war three and you know and i'll i'll get to i'll i'll quickly discuss the kind of the background behind that in a second but after that came out i actually pitched bane on a weird world war one and a weird world war two and they came back and said well you know it may have been done a little bit you know it's not necessarily uh you know differentiated enough to meet the market would you consider a weird world war four and of course Mm. i said absolutely so going back to what weird world war three was about i came up with an idea that i pitched to bain which was what if the united states and soviet union had gone to war or in some future uh, alternate you know, alternate future where the Soviets were still around. What if those two superpowers had gone to war without you know, and not and not a nuclear war, but just gone to war under weird 
science fictional cir- circumstances, right? So think, uh, you know, H.P. Lovecraft meets Tom Clancy or Stephen King meets Tom Clancy. That was the conceit of Weird World War Three. Now, the difference between that and, and Weird World War Four is there's a, a few more degrees of freedom in terms of what the authors had to play with um, to, just in setting up this anthology. So the conceit for or, or the, the the background behind Weird World War Four is authors were told that there was imagine that there was a weird a, a, like a, a World War Three. It doesn't matter who this time could have been China in the U.S. could have been Soviet Union in the U.S. could have been Brazil and Nigeria. Who knows, right? But you have to imagine a world in which there was a World War Three, and now you're in the midst of World War Four, and there, like as in the first volume, the war would be fought under weird fictional circumstances. So right. in this sort of volume. You know, you get some alternative futures that fit the Einsteinian conceit of, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know which weapons world, what kinds of weapons World War Three will be fought, but I do know that World we, World War Four would be fought with rocks, right? So there are some or, futures that that are post-apocalyptic, right? But there are others or, that are, or in, or in weird weird World War Four, it will be fought with uh, throwing eldritch rocks at each other, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or it could be, you know, it could be meteorites, right? Like the like in Starship Troopers, right? <laughs> you have the bugs throwing or, tossing or, meteorites, and yeah. So so there there are, and and the the creativity that this anthology unlocked is will blow your mind and let me give you a, mm-hmm. a, a, a sense of the range so john langan wrote a post-apocalyptic authorian play yes i said that mm. a play <laughs> uh then then you have uh you know s- someone like you know michael z williamson and uh freddie freddie costello wrote or conceived of a world in which War is fought with lawfare. So, and when I mean lawfare, I mean like when the when the opening salvo is the Russians land land on your tarmac and unload pallets of paperwork. Imagine that you know, sort of like you talk about weird, right? And hey, I and thought of that extreme- one as World Woke Four. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it it pokes it pokes fun. At, it, or I shouldn't say pokes fun, but it takes it takes where we currently are and takes it to an extreme. So, as an example, like cranes are referred to as animal persons, um, but it also pokes at a fun at military culture too, which is just like over bureaucratized and and you know people getting uh, have to filling out safety reports for paper cuts and things like that. So you you have that. You have that sort of world. Then you have, uh, you know, another Brian Trent story where humanity had just finished fighting World War Three, you know, against against itself, and then an 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 alien species kind of shows up that's at war with another species on its on its own kind of world in in the dimension that they come from and they they pursued kind of a parallel evolutionary path and 
to them, humans are, you know, no more threatening than rats. So humans are like, like are like rats riding on their trains into, you know, destroyed American cities as these, these kind of dinosaur like beings wage war against each other. So there's a lot of diversity, um, both both ideological and uh, just in terms of ideas. I mean, like Nick Mamatas has a communism in space story as as an example. That <laughs> um, there's there's a story by Weston Oaks called "A Day in the Life of a Suicide Geomancer," where it it takes like a a Trumpian, like a post-Trumpian future, where you know the humanity is at, at you know kind of at war with. Uh, you know, like Trump, you know, Trumpsters that have kind of, uh, you know, gotten even kind of gone, gone completely off the rails. So there's definitely like there's more ideological diversity in this volume than I think you'll see in anything on the market. Like you have like yeah, Bragg Torgerson has, a, you know, another kind of um, story about kind of an anti-China story, but has a tinge of kind of the anti, you know, kind of another weird uh you know, woke woke world war kind of story. So there's there's definitely a lot for everybody in in this anthology, and I and I'm really excited about it. One of the things I really noticed here that I liked was sort of the breadths of authors because we've we I like Erica Satifka's on the here, which was you know she, oh she's, she's amazing a, she, oh yeah she's been a guest of the pod and um. Who else? Oh, like Stephen Barnes. Like I always remember Stephen Barnes from the 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 work he did with Pornell and Niven, like the California Voodoo game or those Grendel books and that sort of thing. And you know, just the idea that you could you could bring them together in the same direction like this, I thought was really cool. Uh, which wait, that isn't a question. So let me actually make a question out of that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, so. Uh, one of the things that is generally true, but isn't true of your anthology per se, is that a higher percentage of military science fiction writers tend towards uh, a more right view of politics. I mean, I'm I'm, right. I'm painting with a broad brush here. No, but, but that, that that that's fair. Um, but go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, no, it's fine. So I, I guess where I'm trying to go with this is we've we've got uh uh oh my gosh, where was I going with this? I had a good question, darn it. Um oh yeah, yeah. So I, I had a series you've got a series of authors from a a uh, a wide stretch and um uh, military science fiction tends to be dominated by uh the right wing, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a generally accepted thing. But when I read through these, I feel like the combination of maybe maybe it's because it's the Fourth World War and maybe it's because of the weird moniker. But a lot of these has a, have a remarkably ain't going to study war no more vibe. And is that how you felt about it, Sean? Or what, what do you think's going on there? I, I think that's an accurate assessment, but I didn't steer the authors either way, right? Like all mm-hmm. I demanded was there was a there was a World War Three, and then you're in the midst of fighting a, a weird World War Four, and I, I think part of it, it, to your point, is that you know even if you if you're if you're coming up with a universe or to in which to tell a story where there's been a massive world war. 
one kind of obvious or, or, you know, more likely path for a society in the sh- living in the shadow of that sort of devastation would likely not be as bellicose as they, you know, otherwise would be. So that, I think that's, that's part of it. I think the other, the other pieces, and, and then, t- you know, you mentioned that a lot of the, uh, there's, you know, a lot of authors or military science fiction authors tend to um, have, you know, tend to be more right leaning and just in terms of the statistics of this particular anthology, in the last anthology, about six out of 20 plus authors had were either military veterans or intelligence veterans, right? And I, I have to create that category for T.C. McCarthy because he's, he's former uh, CIA. But sure. in this volume, there's even more. There's about eight. So, you know, a, a, a lot of them, um, you know, uh, you know, just have have come up with stories that are, uh, you know, at least you know don't glorify in war, and that and that only makes sense if you're creating a world in order to achieve more verisimilitude, right? To make it realistic, you know, you're not going to have people who are you know super warlike. But the other the other aspect that plays into this too is you know over the last most of these stories were written in tw- or actually all of these stories were written in 2020. There may be a few kind of were written at the very beginning of 2021, but, you know, at that point, we had just, you know, spent a year in, in lockdown with COVID. And then prior to that, we were winding down two decades of, you know, two wars, right? One in Iraq, Iraq, and one in Afghanistan. So part of it is just what's in the cultural zeitgeist today you know, there's people are are weary. Uh, you know, you're watching the news right now, and Putin, you know, doing what he's doing. There's also just this sense of like, ah, oh, not like another, not again. So <laughs> I'm not surprised at all that you would have this this sentiment. Yeah, I I definitely picked that up. Picked that up in, and and I think it's 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 well, um, sort of like the the emotional logic uh behind the character in brian trent's story the uh oh shoot i'm gonna forget the name of that uh that one um the one with the dinosaurs or the the extra dimensional dinosaurs yes (laughs) yeah Um, yeah uh because they 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 were like you said i think you'd mentioned earlier they had been like in the midst of uh world war three and then the the dinos showed up you know they sort of phased into our reality uh, reflections in lizard time that's what it's that's right that's what the name is um and uh it, it it's a i think it's to your point like it's it's a good um sort of emotional logic to it where yeah you know like if you've been at war and then suddenly you're thrust into yet another war you're probably going to be a little sick and tired of you know the just not being able to just be, you know, I guess have a normal society, uh, and yeah, you know, in, in this case, or it's you're a gonna go, more, yeah, or go you're ahead. gonna go totally psycho, like the like the women who give birth to those those creatures oh. in Erica Satifka's story, right? Which is extremely, yeah, the- <laughs> like she delivered again, like from the last one. Like it's just it's super creepy story. I don't want to go too much into it, but mm-hmm. um, it's really dark. Well, I mean, it's uh, it 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 sort of um, 
it reminded me in part, uh, maybe not entirely because, um, at least as it's presented in the, uh, in the show and the boys, uh, the, the superheroes, that was like a, a test that maybe not everyone was completely uh, aware that they were being experimented upon, but here the, all the, um, the hosts for the, the, the super beings or the overmen are, are, you know, completely, you know, willing and able to serve their country. That's the way they go about yeah, it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're true believers. They will do whatever the state tells them to do, which, you, you know, I, you can read into that. Like if you know, Erica, you can read into that. Like there's some resonance from what we went through in the past year. And again, I'm reading into it. This is not a discussion I had separately with Erica, but mm-hmm. it, it it reminds me of a lot of things that we've seen in the past year. It's a reflection of, you know, what you know. Not only is it a, is a is it a vision of the future, but it's a reflection of our past. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. You were uh, Pete. You, you were going to say something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? I just yeah. I can I'm hear. sorry. I, I I dropped my headset. Little little uh, view behind the curtain there for the listeners. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you you guys talked about how that that story in particular was was scary, and I think a lot of them were scary. But one of the, one of the things that was most surprising to me, and maybe it shouldn't be surprising, is how funny these were. I mean, very consistently, I mean, at the very least, they were funny odd, which makes sense in a weird Weird War 4 format. But, like, the idea of all those super babies grubbing around for low-grade hamburger, like, that was an, <laughs> very funny to me. Yeah, it's, it's it's a little creepy, too, though. Like, these, these things, like, they're barely... Uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to say sentient, but they're 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 not they're not very bright, and they're just destroying things. Like they're just pre-programmed to tear things apart, and it's just like, oh my god! <laughs> like, why well, are you getting, I, giving birth to these things? I think I think that, uh, and, and I think that this is something that that I've I've developed a theory. It might not be a, a super fresh one, uh, but but the the. <laughs> The difference between oh, sorry, Chewy. <laughs> he, he doesn't. He doesn't like the creepy stuff. He's always got a way in. Um, so the 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 difference between something that's funny and something that's horrifying. There's a very thin membrane between yep. them, and sometimes yep. you could just punch straight through, and it it comes from funny to creepy, and you're like, oh no. Yeah, no, and I, and I like that about the anthology that it can be interpreted in 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 many different ways, right? Now there there's 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 what there's one particular story that is like snarkity snark 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 snark, right? And that's the uh, that's triplicate, and yeah. you know it's exactly what you like. It's a perfect title for it too because it's all about paperwork, and it's all about <laughs> uh, you know it's 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 like. Uh, Peak peak woke on methamphetamine, right? If you, if you take current trends and then you just amp them up to to ten thousand, that's kind of the world you get, where cranes are called animal persons, and and you know people are uh, you know fighting over you know getting pa- paper cuts and and you know and 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 they're fighting with paperwork and tricks and paperwork and and oh you didn't fill out the right form uh that means you lose a city to a nuke like like this crazy cra- like a cra- crazy conceits <laughs> of of you know things that happen and, and there's also a, a lot a, a huge attempt not a huge attempt but like there are 
really different and creative stories. So you have a play from John Langan, who, you know, in a kind of a post-Authorian, or sorry, post-apocalyptic Arthurian kind of story. And he, that makes he's use a horror of writer, isn't he? Sorry. Yeah. Go yes, on. he is. Yeah. 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 yeah um, oh, I didn't even mention Laird Barron. Laird yeah. Barron yeah. is a, you know, is a, is a horror and noir writer. He's got three mm-hmm. crime novels that are out with the, like the Isaiah Coleridge series, but he, he returns to one of his, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, prominence, not the word, but um, one of his signature characters, Rex, which is a, a uh, cybernetic war dog. And he really writes it like, like a super intelligent canine, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not quite human, right? It has kind of canine like thoughts and has, and is encountering this haunter of the dark, which is this really enigmatic and weird character that uh, I just, that story in particular, like Laird has a way of transmitting thoughts and images to your to your mind by I don't know what he does on the page but you can just you know you know with 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 parsimony and really carefully crafted language he can really create some really um stunning imagery and like a really like he creates a really warped kind of world but it fits into his own mythos and and so like I really encourage people to to check that one. And then you have uh, like John Mayberry, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who's an, you know, an amazing, amazing author. He does the, uh, the uh, Joe Ledger series and, and you know, kind of, you did, you did V Wars, which is on Netflix. And, you know, his, his story opens the volume and it's very Cthulhu like. Uh, and again, like it's, it's also somewhat predictive. Remember, remember, you know, where it occurs is in that part of the ocean that is, uh, you know, the, the farthest away from any, you know, any piece of land in the world. So it's like, there's like nothing out there, but I think there was like, uh, you know, in recent weeks, there was that huge um, eruption in the like South Pacific. You guys remember that? Yeah. The Tonga. And you could see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Tonga. Now, now Tonga is like, you know, probably nowhere near it is, is, but it's, it's in that like general part of the planet. Right? It's probably still, still thousands of miles away, but um, you know, John Mayberry delivers a very Lovecraftian like, story about world war three and and uh you know the, the aftermath of it and kind of appeal you know kind of i don't want to give too much away but you know this kind of goes to like Cthulhu, you know really and like where it's located in the pacific and uh you know what are governments doing to harness that power et cetera, et cetera. It, and then you could very that one i was gonna say that that one reminded me i don't know if you're aware of um of the Charles Strauss one that's called uh, a colder war. It reminded me a lot of that and uh, uh, in a good way. I yeah. Mean. yeah. 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 It didn't I, I crit, but it had a very similar feel, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think that's, I think that's accurate. And, and I think it was a good, it was kind of the perfect story to, to kind of get or warm up the reader for the, for the rest of the anthology. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then you also have like, have like a real, like really like you have that, and that, that Afro futurism story by Maurice Broaddus and Rodney Colstrom, right. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, like, again, there's the kind of the, you know, cosmic gods of, of, uh, you know, love, love crafty and God, elder, elder gods and things like that against, 
uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the like civilization of Africa and they're kind of, you know, bringing it back and, and reversing the stigma of colonialism. Like there's a lot of good creative stuff in this thing. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you, and when I, when I was first going to ask you this, I realized that I was phrasing it in a way that would be unfair. And the unfair way to phrase it is, what's your favorite story in this? You can't ask the editor that because <laughs> they're all your children. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how are you going to ask it? How are you going to ask it? Um, well, if, 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 you, if, you had, if you had to do an elevator pitch to somebody about what this was like, uh, which story would you pick to be representative? Oh man, that is, that is a difficult question because it's not necessarily the best story either. Right. Like I could pick right. something and it might not be the best story, but, um, oh man. Uh, so, so on a gut level, uh, it would depend, it would depend right on a gut level. If I just wanted to get like the, the, like the visceral aspect of it, I would go with uh Laird Baron story, the big whimper. Um, mm-hmm. But if I were to kind of give you a sense of, you know, kind of a little bit more straight down the middle, you'd have, uh, you know, Jonathan Mayberry's story um, or uh, T.C. McCarthy's story, Blue Kachina, right? Mm-hmm. Which is also mm-hmm. another really weird and, 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 and creepy example, right? <laughs> You guys remember that one, right? Where, yeah. where, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, the 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 blue sa- the, the the sapphire, the sapphire blue. Oh, what's this? You got it on you. What is that? You know, like, and it's you know, first person. It's it's yeah, it's really 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 creepy. I wouldn't. I don't know if it's an unreliable narrator story, but it's certainly like a, a like a narrator slowly going mad. Yeah. I I did I did find it really interesting um that and 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 I think you you capitalized on it because the Bryant Trent story and the Nick Mamata story both end more or less <laughs> in, with the same vibe and with a very similar uh, uh ext- like a, a a new enemy showing up and it's like huh <laughs> So it, yeah, well, it, that, that, really that's the, that's kind of how no, all like in Brian Trent had a story in Weird World War Three, and uh, all his story. I mean, there's only two right now, but like both mm-hmm. his stories end with that sort of vibe. So in 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 the first one, he had a, a story called, and by the first one I mean Weird World War Three. Um, he had a story called uh, Shadow Rook Red or something like that. Um, and the story is like this, like it's another interdimensional story where people have devices where there's a there's a parallel dimension where they can shift into it. But they, you know, it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have the same topography in many cases, right? So there might be, you know, where there's a lake in Switzerland in the alternative uh, dimension, there might just be an empty, an empty, like a, a an empty chasm, Right. So mm-hmm. there are certain places in the world where you can position your forces where you won't have to worry about somebody sneaking up on you. Um, but the way that that story ends, it's it's like he always kind of 
just when you think it's over, something wakes up, right? Or something comes through. Something, you know, something comes through the. So again, I don't want to reveal too much, but he's. Um, uh, that's why he's like uh, that story. I think is also another good example of what this anthology is about. Mm-hmm. Well, we. Uh, you, it's funny you mention that because um, not too far far back we uh we did a an episode just reading his uh story uh karma among the cloud kings and uh it sort of follows that (laughs) now that you mention it now that you mention it it sort of follows this pattern that that you're mentioning not exactly that it woke up exactly but simply you know it ends on an ominous note with a a new enemy or a new thing you know about to happen um that will happen off and, screen, you know. And that's why I think he sells as much as he does. Like he's he's one of those authors, like powerhouse authors that has cracked. I think he's cracked every single market. So Analog, ma- the, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Clark's World, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's cracked every single market except Asimov's. Hmm. Interesting. And, and he does it consistently. No, I mean, power to him. I, I am. I would be envious, but uh, <laughs> I am still very, very early in my career. So I have, I have no, uh, no, no pretensions. Uh, but uh, what was the other one? Uh, I, I also found it really funny because uh, uh, Nick's story was also like this weird. Um, it was almost like I, I, I was. Almost a quarter of the way in before it, it came to mind, I was like, oh, this is like, it's sort of Atlas like Shru- if he's poking yeah, at like Atlas, Atlas Shrugged, Shrugged, the yeah, entire, yeah, like the pirate, the, 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 the like, cause the, the crew is like, they're, 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 uh, like, I think, uh, like right, right, the, the kind of right side libertarians, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, and everything is, and then the, you know, the AI, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much, too much away, well, I mean, but I, I think, I think we could probably just say that the only, the only difference being that Galt's Gulch uh, is actually just a spaceship that is traveling through space. <laughs> That's right. And, 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 and they, and it's named after the pirate in, in, uh, at, uh, there's something named after the pirate in at, Atlas Shrugged. I can't remember what, what, what thing it yeah, is, but I, it's I like Dane, Dane, Dane's Guild or something like that. Or, oh yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. Yeah. That is the name of the ship. Yeah. The danger. Yeah, that was, so that was the called. pirate. That was like the name of the pirate, the like the libertarian <laughs> pirate in Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> so, oh my God. so Nick, Nick, Nick is very, you know, he, he like Williamson's story is very openly political, <laughs> and Nick, Nick, Nick's story is very subversively political, right? <laughs> unless you know, kind of, unless you've read these things, it's just, I mean, it's right there, right? It's the name of the ship. It's just like the pirate ship, and they're like pirates and. The, <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah so I, I i do love those like if you if you know you know <laughs> types of stories you know well and one of the things that i think a lot of these have in, in common is that you know there there are some jokes here but generally the audience is in on the joke like i was um i i did the terrible thing where i was i was reading two books simultaneously and i was re- reading another anthology by by someone else called ignorance is strength and you know, like the theme is 1984. It came out at almost the exact same time as this one, just a few months before. And it was about how um, 
how uh, COVID and everything else was leading us to a totalitarian state. So imagine how many stories of that you could read before you had to pop over and read about <laughs> lizards coming from other dimensions, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pete, but the interdimensional dinosaurs actually feel like a fun time in comparison. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as long as because they don't really care, they don't really care about humans. Humans are just like rats. They're just like eh, whatever. Get get out of our cities. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's sort of like the uh, the conceit. I, I I always thought of this as a funny, um, like a funny subversion of like the the whole idea behind the Transformers is that well, you know, they're they're just fighting a war. Uh, they just landed on Earth. You're just sort of in the way. Why would right, any one right. of them, even the good guys, why would they care about humans? Pfft, whatever, dude. Yeah, and, and then there's there's yeah, there's there's further explanation behind that later on, and then also why why they came on Earth and why they're fighting this other other group. That you know, parts of that you know are are you know, will certainly certainly be revealed at a, you know in, in in the story, but. Uh, like I said, I think there's a wide uh, you know, diversity of stories in, 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 like, in so many ways that really, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that sometimes you think some writers think that having a theme is like somebody putting a straitjacket on you. And what I've found is that when you're constrained, sometimes you see even more creativity than you otherwise would. And I think that's what you see in this anthology. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm, I may, I'll say this, that, uh, I'm the type of person who will chafe, but honestly, uh, you, you, you place, uh, a, a good enough constraint. Uh, it, it just narrows focus is what it ends up doing. And, and that helps you sort of like, oh, I don't need to think about all those other 5 million things. I'll think about these five ideas, uh, that just popped into my head, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's honestly a, a good focusing uh, tool, really, more than anything else. Can can I ask? Um, because uh, tell him no, tell him no, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Just shut down. Um, so obviously, these were all um, sort of solicited, so solicited works and whatnot. But so there there aren't these are all original works as well, right? That's right. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh yeah, I, and and you'd already answered part of the part of the the question I was formulating which is that in general you had not put any other constraints other than uh, a weird weird world war for and think about that folks. Well, there there had to be a weird sci like there had to be a weird science fictional aspect to it, right? So th there were some, most people interpreted that straight down the middle. There, there, there are others who, um, uh, well, let me step back. So there's, there's three things that had to be true. Number one, there had to have been a, a world war three. Number two, there had to be the beginning of, or middle of, or end of, uh, a, a world war four. And then number three, it had to have some weird element. Right. Mm. And some people uh, or most people kind of in interpreted the weird element as you would expect. Right. So something that's not kind of just humans on humans and, you know, some some sort of twist on that. Right. Um, so if you take actually Stephen Lawson's story. Right. He had 
you know, like four, you know, AIs who had basically re-engineered the human species into into you know four different species essentially. So so the 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 successor to Google right had something. The successor to you know a, a Chinese mainframe had something else, and you know they found the it is found a way to do something different. So that those were like the three constraints that they had to to operate by. And then there's some who who you know. Uh, were were much looser in their interpretation. I don't want to single out an author for that, but there's some that like barely fit, right? I think I probably there's probably a population of like one or two that are kind of like that. But for the most mm-hmm. part, everybody kind of got something that was uh, you know right down the middle. But they're all very different, though, right? You'd think that people would would repeat that would repeat certain things. In, in fact, in in the first anthology in Weird World War Three. I was actually expecting more people to turn in stories that had something to do with like the 1980s, uh, you know, war in, in, you know, on continental Europe. Right. And there was really only one person who turned in a story like that. And I was surprised. I'm like, really? (laughs) Nobody, nobody wrote about that, but it, but it worked out. Like people had really good, uh, you know, answers. There's actually Eric James Stone has a has a great story too, where he starts he starts back at the you know end of the end of the Cold War in like 1991 or 1992, and instead of the Soviet Union collapsing, there was a nuclear war, and then what? Mm. You know, and then what happens after that? And you know, he has his weird element is uh, you know Neanderthals emerge from the Earth and try to and try to take back the civilization that they. That Homo sapiens, uh, you know, forced them away from. <laughs> Amazing. It sounds like the uh, yeah. It sounds like a, 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 a sequel to the Descent or something like that. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty pretty creepy stuff. So, um, I guess I have an origin story question here, which is, uh, what makes you? collect and publish anthologies i mean it seems like a pretty specialized decision like were you just sort of inspired by the first one turned out to be good at it and kept going or like how did this happen oh like well like why why did i pitch weird world war well because once yeah uh, i think it felt like weird uh, weird world war three did well so like i'm you know i'm like if it's gonna if it's gonna do well i might as well make a franchise of this thing right yeah um, and, and trust me, like I, 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 as you know, as I mentioned earlier, I pitched were, you know, world war one and world war two for the, for the next one. And, and again, if, if this one is as successful as uh weird world war three, right. I, I might do that again. Um, hmm. in fact, I, I pitched bef- before we, um, this, so we're world war four comes out next week. It comes out on March 1st, but, um, Generally, you don't really pitch another anthology, or at least I don't pitch another anthology until the publisher has enough data to know whether or not it's worth their while, right? But in the course of, you know, like kind of after finishing World War War Four, when I submit my anthology, I always send a pitch for another one, right? And then the publisher will, you know, usually take a, like. Uh, you know, several months to a year before they come back to me. So I, you know, I did that 
as usual. And before I do pitches, I always run them by the authors that I want to be in the anthology. And the reason I do that is when I pitch the anthology, I can say so-and-so has tentatively agreed to be in this anthology. Because that's really, you know, if you have good authors, your anthology, at least from a publisher's perspective, is more likely to, to do well. Versus if you have like a, a table of contents full of, you know, good authors, but, you know, um, relatively unknown. So I had pitched three more anthologies, you know, fully expecting, you know, uh, you know, them to say, no, no, maybe something like that. So I hadn't heard anything yet. And then David Drake sends me a story. And, I, you know, I had asked him in advance if he would be interested in being in one of these anthologies and he he had agreed. But, you know, generally I don't, you know, ask people to write stories until I have a contract. Right. Mm-hmm. So he sends me the story <laughs> and I reach out to, you know, the, the publisher and I'm like, I, I look, I, I know, I know we haven't even launched weird world war four yet. Like it's not out in the market yet, but I got, I got a story from David Drake. What do you want me to do here? So, so I got the green light to do weird world war three China. So, you know, I've, I've been, you know, kind of working on that on a much slower burn because it's not, you know, it'll, it'll, it, it won't come out for a while, but it'll be kind of like Weird World War Three. only, you know, the protagonists will be the United States and, and the Chinese. Well, I will say that I'm very grateful that the next direction you picked wasn't Weird World War Five because I could yeah, see it. Yeah, I, I would recursive. never pitch that. <laughs> yeah, that, not even recursive. It's just like... It's just like what, like, huh? I mean, honestly, honestly, if if the series does well enough, I, I will, I will go back and and ask to do one and two because there were a lot of, a lot of authors that were interested. I mean, of course, authors would love to do you know Weird World War One and Weird World War Two because they're, um, you know, they're just interesting times. There's a lot you can do, but again, the the, the publisher for very good reason was like, look, that's a well-trodden path. You're not really going to do anything that's, um, or, or you're unlikely to do something that hasn't already been done before. And that's oh, fair. Well, see, that's totally fair. I, I, I've got, I've got some ideas. How about weird civil war, weird Napoleonic oh, yeah. <laughs> war. <laughs> oh, trust me. Like when I, when I pitched where, where were three, all those, I, like, I, I was like thinking about going like, you know the weird, you know, weird war, weird world, you know, weird world war, ancient world, right? Like you could, mm-hmm. you, know, you could do Romans, like the Greeks. You could do, um, you know, Babylonia. You could do all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, but you know, let's you got to take it one, you know, one place at a time. You got to hit the big ones first, and then you could do mm-hmm. the, you know, you yeah, could yeah. do weird, weird revolutionary war. You could do the weird True, seven, yeah. you know, seven years war. You could do all sorts of interesting things you could go to space you know i pitched a like weird space wars right there's there's tons of things that you could do with this yeah yeah i mean um i mean and and this is like there's there's plenty of material out there already too like um when you mentioned uh meteors earlier uh i was i was thinking you immediately made me think of that uh, gregory keys uh series uh that started out with newton newton's cannon yes uh which is like when you find out what Newton's canon is, you're like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, this, oh, I don't know what it is. What, what is Newton's canon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I basically, uh, 
they, they, it, it's a world where, um, it, it's, it's teetering between like the age of reason. Like, I think the, the entire series is called the age of unreason. Yeah. Uh, that's and, what and part of it is that, um, you know, I guess the, the author, uh, Greg Keyes was, you know, researching how we, how much of a weirdo, uh, Isaac Newton was, who is on the one hand, the guy who gave us basically, you know, the Newtonian physics, but on the other and hand, calculus. was also. Yeah. And calculus, but also on the other hand, was slowly trying to figure out sort of weird alchemical versions of, uh, writing angelic speech. And so they, somebody finds his old uh, stuff and realizes that they can, through alchemy and sympathetic magic, they can call upon, they can lure uh, Newton's cannon to the earth, which ends up being a gigantic meteor. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. And, and all of this stuff sort of, it sort of cracks a hole in reality and like, angels and demons start showing up it's like you you do you do have um i mean you you do have uh standard technology of like the 1700s but you also have people you know binding ifrit to ships to making them float above the sand kind of stuff yeah oh wow and here i thought you guys were going to talk about rocco's basilisk Oh, <laughs> oh well, no! <laughs> I, sorry, it's a policy of mine not to. <laughs> Look, oh, no, don't I, worry. I, I'm, just, I'm I'm preparing the way for the uh, hyper time traveling intelligent hyper intelligent time traveling AI. I'm doing yeah, my yeah, best. I, <laughs> I I I I have been told not to speak ill of a potentially uh, dangerous AI in the future. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Like, it's an AI god. Best. You will, you will worship you will worship it, and uh, you know you're just gonna. You know, you're going to do well in your life now by preparing the way for that for that AI. Yeah. It's it's the it's the weirdest confluence of like uh, it's sort of like a weird techno Calvinism mixed in with Pascal's wager, <laughs> and right. I have no mouth and I must scream. <laughs> That's actually that that is brilliant. Like you you definitely hit you know the Pascal's wager right. Like that's that's my position. Um, and then there's. <laughs> And then there's like the Calvinist, like, well, you can behave however you want. As long as you have faith, you're fine. Right? You're saved. <laughs> exactly. As long as you believe you're saved, you're fine. And then you have well, the, you know, I have no mouth and I'm a scream. I'm just going to torture you because why not? <laughs> Let's just torture <laughs> these humans. What I love is like all, all the people in the discussion group where the where the concept came up got so mad at this guy, they basically lost their minds. It's like, <laughs> why would you be smart enough to come up with this idea, but stupid enough to speak it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, oh, my lazed, lazed it into existence. No, yep. thank you. All right. Um, so um, I guess uh, I, I can think of something we haven't talked about much. Oh, go for it. Well, let's just say that I'm listening to this episode and I'm like, this sounds pretty good. I want to buy this. How does that work? Well, you can, I would recommend that you pre-order it as soon as you get off. In fact, if you're looking at your screen right now, you can go to Amazon and pre-order it. You can go to, you can go anywhere where books are sold. So Barnes and Noble, if you want to buy it at an independent bookstore, make sure you Go to your independent bookstore and tell your proprietor to to order it as soon as possible so you can pick it up on the first. <laughs> um, and, and you could also get it on, uh, you know, 
Kindle as well. You can pre-order on Kindle as well, but it will be available, uh, you know, this actually six days from now on Tuesday of next week. So, you know, if, if you're on the fence, just buy it, it's totally worth it. Um, and then, you know, hopefully it does well enough that, you know, if, if you enjoy it, I can, I can, you know, do a, do, you know, a fourth one after weird world war three China. So anyway, you can buy it anywhere you want. Excellent. All right. And so you said it's, uh, it's available both electronically as an ebook and, uh, physical copies, right? That's right. That's right. It's not, it's not, it's not available as a mass market paperback yet. That'll probably be in a year, hopefully mm-hmm. in a year, but you can get a trade in, you can get it in trade paperback or on, uh, you know, ebook. All right. Excellent. Uh, Pete, did you have anything else for, for Sean? Um, not really, except, you know, I've, I've enjoyed talking to you and, and thanks for giving us a chance to take a crack at this. This is, I've, I really like your collections. Like one of the things you do very well, and this is, uh, this is somebody from the Sam's club Costco era. Like I hate picking up a collection of short stories that has like six stories in it. Like years way in at a solid 20 good stories. And that is worth my time to sit down with. And I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I just yeah. give them a 5,000 word constraint and then some of them turn in 3,000 words and some of them turn in nine and it ends up kind of, uh, you know, averaging out to about 20 stories. That said, I, 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 I paid a little bit extra of my own money um, in order to, cause it's slightly longer than the hundred thousand words that I'm contracted for. So, you know, part of that too, is there's, there's, there's one or two authors that, uh, or stories that are in there that otherwise wouldn't have been if I just, you know, stuck a hundred percent to budget. So I just have to make it up on the, uh, on the royalties. So please do buy it. Yes. Yes. Please buy books, folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hear, you won't, you won't have any books. I, I, I hear anthologies make millions. <laughs> Is that true? Sean? <laughs> <laughs> if, if only, if only that were true, if um, only they, they actually tend to do, you know, standalone novels do better uh, typically than than anthologies. Um, but I look, I like anthologies because you can really get a good sample of different different authors, and you can test different concepts and get you know a variety of different responses to it in the in the stories. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, honestly, it's it's. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it, it is sort of like a sampler, right? It's you. you get- That's right. You get like a theme, a, a general theme, or sometimes you don't. I don't know. But in this one, you definitely get a theme and, and you get, you know, 20 or so, you know, cracks at, you know, some sort of story. At least some of those are going to probably be, you know, like really real bangers for, for some readers and some are going to be, you know, and others are going to be bangers for other readers. So it's fine. Um, well, and also yeah, some of them intersect, some of them intersect with, you know, an author's mythos, right? So like Laird Barron's hmm. story is, you know, if he's got like four or five stories about Rex and it fits into his mythos. So it's, so for people who are really into Laird Barron, like this, this book is, you know, is kind of required for you to, to collect that, uh, or at least amass all the stories in that mythos. Until he, I, until he yeah. publishes a collection or whatever a year from now with the same story in it, but <laughs> yeah, I can't stop him from doing that. 
<laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny because you, you, you mentioned that and I had no idea like he had other uh, Rex stories, but, but yeah, that's great to hear. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I do want to thank you for giving us another shot at, uh, at the new weird world war book, uh, Sean. Uh, thanks for, for uh, agreeing to, to come on and, and talk to us again. Um, and uh, I, I, I suppose that whenever your, your next one's available, uh, we'd love to have you back. Oh, I definitely love to come back. And by the way, thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. I think the oh, more, yeah, the more word I put out, the, the more people will be able to enjoy it. And also, Excellent. just I just want to add one thing real quick. There's a, I started a YouTube channel uh, called Through a Glass Darkly, and I interview many of the many of the authors in this in this volume. So, as an example, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, there'll be four interviews as an example with Laird Barron the week of March seventh. Um, the week of March first, you'll see uh, John Langan. Um, next week, or maybe even starting at the end of this week, uh, Steve, uh, you know, an, an interview of two interviews of Stephen Barnes, um, Brian Trent, um, in the next two weeks, TC McCarthy. Uh, so there's, there's a bunch of folks. So do check that out. Um, at Michael's, Michael Z. Williamson. And I'm going to continue to interview him until I, uh, until I work there, work my way through him or till, uh, or unless they say no. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Um, well, I suppose that uh, we should probably wrap it up. And, uh, and and again, thanks for, for deciding to come on to talk to us, uh, Sean. Um, we, we look forward to your, your next project. And, uh, of course, I do want to thank everyone here um, and our listeners, of course, for listening in. And we'll catch you next time here at Podside. Podside.